everyone, you're listening to Stump Mike Dustra, uh, the the podcast which, uh, like the delivery, uh, may not pass a biomechanical test and uh, maybe should should be looked looked at a little bit of suspicion. Um, I've got Siddharth Munga. Not with our uh, our hyperflex and our elbows, I think we're fine. Yeah, we're, we're definitely passing the 15 degree rule, but uh, but there are other reasons why you should be suspicious of this pod, uh, which will become relevant as you as uh, which will become apparent as we go along. Uh, today, Monga, we've got uh, an absolute doozy of a topic. Do you wanna uh, do you want to uh, introduce it for us? Oh yeah, I can't wait to do that. We're talking about cricket administration today. And something in cricket administration that we have, that cricket has taken for granted for years and decades with cricket being such a close, almost incestuous uh, sport and management with cricket generally not being happy with outsiders getting in. And when you do that, you've got all insiders taking up more positions than one and always ending up in a position where if you do something officially, you can end up benefiting yourself in another capacity, which is the textbook definition of conflict of interest. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure our listeners are thrilled that we're doing a cricket administration episode. By the way, it's like it's like when you watch your favorite sitcom and they do an episode on the on the least favorite uh, character. Everyone, uh, administration is a boring topic. Uh, there's no doubt about it, but it is. Seinfeld once did a spoof on the chase uh, when O.J. Simpson was arrested. Yeah, so this is the O.J. Simpson episode of uh, of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so let's let's uh, let's dive right into it. Uh, the reason why we we brought up conflicts of interest this time is because uh, there's quite a lot of talk about it in Indian cricket. Monga, do you want to roll us through some of uh, some of the latest news there? Yeah. So uh, in 2013, when uh, when conflict of interest became uh, way too uh, unmanageable in, in, in Indian cricket, the, there was a Supreme Court appointed committee that was asked to look into how Indian cricket was run. And one of the main recommendations from the Lodha committee was to eliminate conflict of interest because at that time we had an IPL team owned by a person who was also the BCCI president. Uh, after that, Lodha committee said, a big no-no. We want you. We want cricket to come up to speed with other corporate, the rest of the corporate world, where we do not allow any conflict of interest, no matter if you are a hero, a cricketer who has been worshipped all his life. We do not want that to happen. Uh, so, right now, cut to 2019, we have a we have a situation where players like Revered players like Rahul Dravid and Saurav Ganguly find themselves in conflict of interest. Rahul Dravid is the vice president of India Cements, which owns CSK. And he is also sometimes India A coach. He's, he's involved in NC, he's involved in BCCI. So uh, a lot of diehard fans in cricket will say, hey, what's the big deal? It's not like Rahul Dravid is going to go and favor CSK players or CSK catchment players and put them into... India A teams or get them a better room at the NCA when they are lodging there. It's it's not that. It's, even if Dravid doesn't do it, and nobody is saying Dravid will do it, the whole concept of conflict of interest is in the, that you are in a position to influence yeah, something it's a principle. for your own benefit. And 
Rahul and Dravid, Dravid might yeah. end up sending a precedent yeah. which somebody else might use 10 years down the line. Same with Ganguly, Ganguly who's who who's much more conflicted. He's he's the he's the boss of Cricket Association of Bank Bengal, which means he's a he's the boss of one of the venues at the IPL. Where and he's also uh, he was also running Delhi Capitals, another IPL team. So, who, whom do you think the pitch will favor when there's a game between Kolkata Knight Riders and Delhi Capital at the Eden Gardens? And over apart from that, he's a commentator. He wants he wants a finger in every pie. Uh, which again, uh, nobody is saying Ganguly is doing anything wrong. He might that he's he, nobody is saying Ganguly has benefited Delhi Capitals or personally but he's in a position yeah but you, you can't wear you can't wear so many hats without being i mean there's no there's no way he compartmentalizes all his jobs so perfectly that they have no effect on each other it's just it's hard exactly. to think of any person being able there to there's a great line in the indian indian express editorial by sandeep duvedi whom we know he said if the the golden rule for conflict of interest should be that if you are asking the question there probably is conflict of interest if if that question has come up in your mind whether this guy is conflicted that means there's actually there already is a conflict of interest the though i don't know what gungul is expected to do i mean like he's i don't know if he'd even be allowed to resign from his uh, cricket of uh, his head honcho of bengal cricket job such as the I remember like walking up the in Eden Gardens for the first time the first thing you see is shirtless Ganguly like their picture from Lords there like it's very it's very obvious as soon as you walk into Eden Gardens who is the boss of this place and I don't see like a scenario in which he'd be allowed to relinquish uh, that title um, so well uh, in terms of hard news he he does seem to have made the choice he is he's going to be in the BCCI elections is going to represent cricket association of bengal so he has made a choice if something happens and if if the ruling on conflict of interest is strict he will give up other interests but he will keep this one so yeah we walked through the i think by the way the, the one uh, yeah ganguly has quite a has probably the most serious conflict of interest of the two players uh, dravid's one is quite a long walk like from he's yes he's part of the board of of a company that has a stake in the ipl team but he's not an ipl coach uh, it's a he's coach of the a team it's it's quite a distance to get to that and i wonder whether in a in a sport as small as cricket and as incestuous as cricket as you put it like where do you where do you draw the line ideally it wouldn't be there but uh but yeah it, but m- the, my reason for saying that is that because there was so many conflicts of interest going on in indian cricket we went around the world and we asked our correspondents uh, in bangladesh pakistan uh zimbabwe uh, australia as well uh what the biggest conflicts of interest in their home country this decade were was and we uncovered some amazing amazing stories uh where should we start should we start off should we go from like low to high um let's let's start off with i think australia which where there was a mark uh mark what it's not low australia is not low australia was pretty high it's it's selectors as commentators CA board members as commentators they are influencing the message directly i think that that's a huge conflict of interest which is like dravid is nowhere close to that ganguly ganguly could be getting into that position because he is doing commentary but uh, mark wo and mark taylor doing commentary should be a clear no no as long as they are in the ca board 
or as or as long as the selector. Yeah, or my only selector. my only contention is that it's up to the broadcaster to make that choice. Uh, it's up to I mean, Mark Warren, if you're involved in uh, selection or if you're involved in the board, it's up to the broadcaster to say these kinds of people can't be in in our media organization. Uh, and but that doesn't that doesn't happen. So yeah, there is a there is a conflict. I wouldn't say that's high just because media. Uh, it's, it's, that conflict isn't within cricket itself, uh, or within cricket administration itself. There's also media and the way those companies behave that you have to take into account. Uh, we know our jobs, or to an extent, are too intertwined with how the cricket is going, and, uh, sometimes it's, I'm not saying either of us has done that, sometimes it's not in the journalist's best interest to do a story that might bring down the, uh, net worth or the image of cricket in public's eyes. Yeah, especially especially if your company owns like the broadcasting rights or whatever. Uh, you yeah you I mean we recently had yeah. this Michael Holding was uh, fired off an email uh, during the World Cup because he was asked to uh, to not criticize the umpire so much uh, by the broadcaster because that was sort of take, taking a, a dig at the product as the corporate people call it. And he, you know, raged pretty hard against that. But there, there are these pressures to not criticize uh, the cricket, or yeah. Um, okay, moving on. I think that's that's left that's better left to more responsible people than you and I to decide yeah, to, to talk about <laughs> and, and figure out what the boundaries are, um, and better paid people as well. I think this is above our pay grade to talk about that. Yeah, our responsibility is directly proportional to the pay that we get. Next one I want to talk about, Zimbabwe cricket. Uh, also, a uh, reasonably serious uh, conflict of interest. In 2014, uh, three of the people on the Zimbabwe board, uh, I'm talking about uh, ZC chairman Peter Chingoka, vice chairman Wilson Manase, and managing director Ozias Brute, all were on the board of MetBank, which was sponsoring the team, and with whom the board had uh, a few... Uh, let's just say disagreements with, and so uh, on one hand, the the same men who are part of the board are also on the same uh, are also on the board of the the bank, which with which uh, Zimbabwe cricket was negotiating. So that's uh, in some ways quite a serious in, breach of uh, conflict of interest because when you're choosing the, the sponsor for the team as well, obviously people on the board can make a preferential decision to uh, and and hand that. Uh, that contract to the corporate entity that's bidding for sponsorship. Once again, if there are lawyers listening to this and trying to <laughs> grab Info by the collar, uh, we are not suggesting anybody did that. We're just saying, we, we're not saying anybody did anything, uh, anybody got any kickbacks or anything from this, these deals. We're just saying they are in a position to benefit from that deal going to a certain sponsor. Sure. Um, and what else have we got? We've got, uh, now we're moving towards South Asia, which I think is where the most interesting ones happen. Uh, India, for, for me, isn't like a hotbed of conflict of interest. But we've got two really good entries from... Uh, it doesn't usually get that publicized. I can tell you about uh, a former BCCI president who... Who wanted to? Uh, who was? Who wanted to become a selector of his state association before he got into national level politics? And he 
one fine day he just yeah. he played one game for his side because those were the rules of the association that uh, while his while his father was the president of the state association he just got in played one match became a selector <laughs> moving on to pakistan and bangladesh uh, and uh, we had quite a so pa- pakistan has the most recent obvious one which is uh, miss bowl haq being coach and selector of the team while also being coach of uh, one of the pakistan psl teams so there's one uh, there's a serious conflict of interest there again if there's one person who i uh, who i would expect to be a benevolent dictator and not and not not abuses yeah <laughs> and not abuses power it would be misma but we still have to call him out on uh, on the potential of being there for him to abuse that wasn't he on the committee that made the decision yeah that is i've written this as well it's like that's proper banana republic level uh, politics like if you were on the board that fired the guy and then you apply for the job and get the job except the job is like way more powerful than the previous guy had uh, that is that is proper uh, so miss bolhak fired mickey arthur then applied for that job and then instead of just being coach he was also selector making him essentially one of the most powerful men in pakistan yeah so the other ulhak that we're talking about is uh, inzamam ulhak who was selector for a while and then he picked and this was quite a big deal at the time picked imam ulhak uh, a couple of years ago uh, to play for the pakistan team in in perfect pakistan fashion by the way imam has since become like the most consistent opener one of the <laughs> One of the best batsmen, so the conflict of interest worked out like in perfectly for them. Exactly, uh, and uh, this is so. This is where like the Bangladesh connection came in. Very similar case happened in Bangladesh, uh, which Mohammed Isam, our, our Bangladesh correspondent, uh, alerted us to in uh, in the early parts of this decade. Uh, Mohammed Akram, or sorry, Akram Khan, was uh, was uh, a chief selector, and he picked a young player called Tami Mikbal. who was also his nephew. Yeah. Uh Tamim has since gone on to become one of the best players to ever play for Bangladesh. I mean Bangladesh uh have benefited from that conflict of interest as well. Apparently there was an acrimonious time in 2012 when uh when uh Akram Khan uh, uh sort of resigned over a, a dropping of uh, Tamim Iqbal and the prime minister had to get involved. So it became quite a big uh issue there politically as well as just in cricket. also in the bpl uh they've they've had uh, a bpl side being owned by the same uh or a group of directors uh, in the the company that owns a bpl side are also uh in directorships inside uh the bcb so the governing body the governing body of bangladesh cricket owns uh, people involved in the governing body of bangladesh cricket own a bpl side themselves so clear conflict of interest there So everyone's just following in in India's footsteps. So let this is this is why this is so here is where where India is about to lose whatever crown that you that you pretend because we're going to Sri Lanka and there is no way that you're going to top these conflicts of interest. These are proper uh, and and it's not like it's not they're all, they're a big conflict of interest but they're all amazing stories in this in themselves just because who they involve and uh, just the the general uh the general sort of wild west feeling to all of these stories um and in some way they can only really happen in sri lanka so let's start off let's start off with uh an easy one i've got a list here uh so to th- uh, just before i think 2014 or 15 was when nishantharanathunga uh who is the brother of the younger brother of arjuna ranathunga 
yes, the, that uh, Ranthangi family, which, by the way, have politicians on both sides of, of the spectrum uh, right now in the, in the lead-up to, uh, to a presidential election in Sri Lanka. So a very prominent family in cricket and politics in Sri Lanka. Nishantha Ranatunga was a board secretary for a long time. I think it was a, it was a run of about six or seven years. Officially, his title was board secretary, but everyone knew uh, where the power in SLC lay at the time. Nishantha Ranatunga was very much the head honcho. He, uh, he handed, he, or, while he was in power in, in the board, uh, SLC uh, granted or sold the rights, sold, sold the domestic rights for broadcasting to a local company called uh, CSN. And the CSN was owned by uh, members of the Rajapaksa family, uh, the, the ruling family in Sri Lanka. The, where it gets interesting, though, the CEO, CEO of CSN was none other than, than Nishantha Ranatunga himself. So, <laughs> so, so you've got... You've got these two big families embroiled in this one thing. So, essentially, I mean, you can just imagine how the, the tender and the negotiations for the handing of that uh, broadcasting rights went, right? Nishanda Ranatunga went into a, into a meeting with himself. And like, like in the movies where they play chess matches against each other, he locked the doors, negotiated, uh, just beat himself up. And he came out and he's like, okay, this is what, this is the deal. This is how much CSN are going to pay SLC for this. For the broadcasting right. Hold on, he he didn't bother with you know installing a puppet CEO at uh, CSN or anything. So this is the thing: is that uh, he later on suggested that he wasn't actually uh, the CEO, and no one could work out who the CEO of CSN is, which is like a sign of a great company, sign of a completely above board, uh, non dodgy company when you don't know who the CEO is. He would later go on to deny, but it was it was like kind of uh, obvious that he had very, he had a uh, he had a big hand and that he was essentially fun- functioning as CEO of that company. Uh, so that's that's just one, right? I've got four here. So Australian, um, we have a, a player called Satyajit Patran, which some listeners may uh, recognize. Um, All rounder, left arm spinner. Uh, in 2016, or uh, 2016, his father became the head honcho of Candy Cricket Club, uh, or of Candy and Cricket, where he controlled several votes in the SLC elections. Uh, he ended up getting picked for the for the Sri Lanka cricket team. Uh, and look, th- this isn't like an obvious comedy of interest because he's a decent cricketer and he was sort of in the fringe of of being selected. But the fact that his father was so influential uh, and controlled votes at the board. And then he, and then his, his son got picked, raised quite a few eyebrows at the time. The bigger one, the bigger one when it comes to selection is, uh, Sanat Jaisuri, everyone's favorite, uh, 90s opener. Uh, and, uh, when he was, he was part of the government, right? Like he was a deputy minister in the Rajapaksa led government before that government was toppled in 2000, early 2015. He picked a young player called Ramit Ramakwella. And uh, Ramit Ramakwella, if people don't know, was the player uh, who, who's you might have read news news stories about him already. He was a player when uh, during an A team tour coming back from West Indies, he tried to he got super drunk and tried to open uh, a plane door mid air, yeah, thirty five thousand feet, and then said uh, this caused alarm within the flight because he was like he's quite a big, you know, muscular, well built guy. Tried to open the door at thirty five thousand feet. 
uh, and later said, no, he wasn't drinking. He was just sleepwalking. And, uh, and that's why he tried to open the flight door. But to be fair, to be fair, the airlines are now becoming cheap and they're taking up on space and they're adding more seats per square foot in the airplane. It can okay. get... You, he, doesn't need, he doesn't need any more excuses, right? He's got, he's got so many excuses in his life. I don't think you need to jump in and, and bat for him. Okay, so, uh, so Ramitran Mugolo did that. Also, he was involved in like two separate drunk driving incidents, the latest of which he was arrested for also assault, assaulting uh, two, uh, two other motorists, uh, two other university students uh, in one of those. And the reason, and, and all this behavior uh, adds up because when you realize that uh, he was the son of a, uh, of a very high-ranking minister in the Sri Lankan government, in the Rajapaksa government, uh, that uh, Sanajasri was also part of. So Sanajasri was in parliament with his father, who was a higher-ranking minister than Jayasuriya, and uh, and the conflict of interest was people were suggesting that Jayasuriya picked Ramukwella because uh, in order to appease his father, who was uh, in in and in, in order to further Jayasuriya's own political journey uh, by sucking up to someone who was higher than him in in the parliament, right in the, in the pecking order of that party. So yeah, that's that's a clear conflict, uh, which the Loza Committee in India is trying to get uh, get out uh, to eliminate. By saying nobody holding a post in a government can be part of the BCC. Yeah, and uh, and just just on Ramukwella, if you ever watch him, if you ever find some, I don't know if there are clips on YouTube, but just watch him bowl and appeal. And I've never seen anyone like it be more more obvious from an appeal that someone is a minister's son. It's like it's like that that wicked is that wicked is his birthright, and that someone will beat up the umpire later on if that <laughs> if the LBW decision is not given. Uh, so anyway, that's, uh, that's, at least that's what it looks like. Um, so that, that's a clear conflict of interest. Uh, Ramukwella is a, you know, can maybe be a decent T20 cricketer, but there are many, many, uh, bowlers and, and all-rounders of his quality. And he's got more, uh, he's got more opportunities as, uh, I think than he deserves at the top level. Uh, there are a lot of talented players who, have, who are overlooked, uh, when uh, Ramukwella came in. But anyway. Such as uh, such as life in Sri Lanka. Okay. The most recent one is Tilanga Sumathipala. This has been all over the news in Sri Lanka. Tilanga Sumathipala, whose whose family runs a betting agency, and it's uh, you can you can't bet on cricket in Sri Lanka. You can only bet on horse racing. Uh, but his family is very much involved in the betting industry, and he uh, he was head honcho at SLC for a while. Uh, so at on one hand he's uh, charged with keeping corruption out of the game. And on the other hand, his family owns uh, a betting industry. Again, a massive conflict of interest. Uh, so this is the thing. The Sri Lankan conflict of interest involve parliament. They involve uh, the gambling industry. They're just much more all-consuming and, uh, and, and you know, just more screwed up in a lot of ways than, than, than everywhere else. I'm sure, it, see, I'm sure it happens everywhere. It's just that they at least bother about covering it up, unlike... The badasses of Sri Lanka. No, the, the cover-up attempts have definitely been made. It's just, I, I guess, like, uh, and the people, and like, it's all, it's often the same people involved, right? So the person who has hounded Sumatipala most for this betting conflict of interest is Arjuna Ranatunga, so whose own, whose own younger brother was involved in this huge conflict of interest a few years ago. It's like, it is, it's just the wild west of, of cricketing administration. Uh, it's. All these the stories that you just could not like. If you're a novelist, you could not actually come up with. 
So I'm I'm sure this uh, conflict exists in every cricketing nation because I I have not I've never met met people who are more self righteous and who are quicker to take offense than cricketers uh, or cricket administrators because they seem to because cricket is it's very quick to say cricket is clean cricket is a religion we're we're playing uh, for the country and it happens everywhere it happens in England where certain former cricketers are commentators and also involved in management agencies it happens in new zealand it happens everywhere why do you think it happens in cricket this much why do you think that cricket in 2000 even in 2019 we a majority of cricket fans don't even care about there being so much conflict of interest interest which potentially leads to corruption i think i think part of it is down to cricket being like having roots as an elitist sport right like a sport of the elites it's got a high uh, it's hard to get into it's as in it's it costs quite a lot to start playing it uh it it costs a lot to run grounds to have this huge playing area to administer all of that and often it's the wealthy people who are involved in in administration and they they and it's and it's in their interest to to carve out as much of the game for themselves as possible right so if you're in a position of power you're always going to try and consolidate and expand that power and and you end up invariably these uh high sort of these I'm putting elite in in air quotes here these elites essentially uh buying up and controlling the game and no one has really risen up and stopped them um apart from recently with the lower committee has made an attempt to do that uh, the judiciary has stepped in 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 India uh in Sri Lanka there we're not even close to judiciary there is like very little judiciary oversight over what is happening here and these elitists like these elite uh, uh people uh continue to to run the game as they wish uh and it's up to other elites to kind of like check them but they're also involved in them or their family members are also involved uh in conflicts of interest and in in huge power um problems so it, it's not a very effective way of checking uh these conflicts and you you get so much nepotism in in associations around the world you get um you know like the uh, in some some clubs are essentially run by you know father son teams or uh the grandfather father and the son have all been presidents at some point like families associate themselves with some cricket cricketing organizations this happens at all levels from you know the international level down to first class uh down to like little clubs uh it's it's just there right through the game this level of nepotism uh, and around the world not it's not uh, only an asian or a developing nation thing it happens everywhere so that's that's the one recommendation by the lodha committee that has stung the established administrators the most is putting a cap on the number of years you can spend in cricket administration because they wanted they wanted for themselves for their whole life and for their sons or daughters as soon as they are unable to operate and then their sons and daughters which is what has been happening for years and i'm not saying they don't do well for cricket i think the uh, i think the old bcci administration did much better than the current administrators that are doing it but it's it, a, a lot of corruption and conflict of interest everything is about the optics you have you not not only do you have to be fair you have to be seen to be fair which will never happen when if it's just one family controlling everything in one state 
Yeah. And the, the argument that these people often use for, you know, against opening up cricket administration to a, a wider swathe of people is that though any, any new administrators coming in don't have the know-how. So these, uh, the people who control the game, uh, very much position themselves as being a passionate about the game and b, which they are, which I'm not denying. Yeah, b, uh, b, but they're, they're, they're saying that no one else is as passionate as they are, and b uh, by saying that no one else knows how to do this, that they're absolutely vital to the running of this club, and that uh, it being a family club is uh, vital to its existence. Uh, we get that all the time across the clubs in in Sri Lanka, for exa- example. Um, and, and then you also have people who are in the clubs go on to be uh, commentators. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, when you're listening to commentary either on radio or, or, uh, <clears throat> or on TV, some commentators will go a lot easier on the players associated with their clubs. Uh, they, will, they will campaign for... Uh, and this is, it's not, this is a, a case where I can say with, without you know, too much equivocation that, that it is happening. It's not just that these people are in a position to abuse their power. This power is already being abused. So whenever you talk, whenever you hear a, a commentator talk a player up or uh, or suggest a, a new player should be selected or or something like that, just double think. Just think, why is this commentator saying it? Uh, does he have uh, an interest, uh, a separate interest in this player being picked for the for the national team or in this player being doing well apart from the the what they can bring to the team? Um, those are questions that. As journalists like you, we, you and I have to like train ourselves to ask very early in our careers. And we have to keep reminding ourselves, we have to keep reminding ourselves also because there are some cricketers we get on better with than the others. So we have to tell, keep reminding ourselves not to be favorable to one cricketer who, 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 you know, who will pick up our call and who will give us interviews as opposed to somebody who, who is frosty with us. That's that's something we, and that's something we need to we have to deal with every day. The ones who the ones who uh, hate you are actually the more more interesting exactly. ones. Exactly, exactly. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I also wanted to quickly touch on. Let's wrap this up because I think we've uh, there's only there's only so much conflict of interest talk people can listen to before they fall asleep. But uh, so where do you, so where do you draw the line? Yeah, where do you draw the line? Here, right? So you've got, so there are, there are players who are managed by, uh, by certain agencies or certain agents, right? And, uh, I'll, I'll again use Sri Lanka as an example because that's what I'm most familiar with. Uh, we had, uh, an agent, uh, who until, he gave up his players recently, but who until very recently, uh, managed, uh, Mahela Jawadhan and Kumar Sangakara, this is while they were still playing, Lasith Malinga, Angelo Matthews, Dinesh Chandimal was part of the, uh, part of that stable, Upul Taranga, Nuan Kulasekara, Virtually, some it's in some in some matches in some matches probably eighty percent of the Sri Lanka eleven that was playing was managed by the same all captains was managed by the same agent. So uh, so there's now here is where uh, where we have to work out where cricket has to draw the line, right? I think my personal preference is that no more than like that 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 the. Uh, uh, SLC, for example, uh, tells players uh, you can all. There are three of you who can set, tells their contracted players. Three of you can share an agent, but no more than three. 
so uh, so that's one way of looking at it uh, so you're saying an agency cannot look after more than three players yeah yeah and and so i before i get on to that i'm just going to explain just in case for listeners who sort of don't see the problem with it if you have so many players controlled by the same agent uh that agent can yeah that agent can can put pressure say uh, if one of his players is a captain can put pressure on that captain to say why aren't you picking this player for the team someone else who's in a stable someone who's up and coming uh can put put pressure on that and then that that agent can uh, engineer situations where uh, that captain spends time with this up and coming player who has isn't being picked for the team and gets to know that player and develops uh, a personal relationship uh, networking is still it's is something that that works in cricket as well as in any other field in life so an agent can engineer situations where other players in his in his stable uh, uh give preference to other players in his stable so from india's example for ever since there were former formal player managers in indian cricket every time there's been a, a captain that captain's particular agent has thrived his business has thrived because uh, all young players who are not you know who are not assured of their spot in the next 10 matches they they feel the pressure of joining that agency and it has always happened uh i'm not going to get into names because i don't know it might get funny but with whichever captain has been playing who's been leading in the cricket their agent has prospered and there was one captain who even had at one of one uh, at uh, one point of time financial links with that company so there he was in almost in a position to actually benefit from the earnings of directly and not through his agent of the players he played in the, in the 11 and also you know how much how much the captain select the uh influence the selection of the 15 so and there there have been many players who have off the record complained to us about how they felt the pressure of you know defecting to so and so agency and if they didn't they suffered um the other solution that i spoke to the old bcci people about is and uh, one of them was uh, very reasonable and very uh, sensible solution was for the bcci to say first of all we are going to accredit we are going to issue accreditations to only responsible man agencies and also if somebody is defecting somebody is changing an agency it's okay if you were selected if you were if you were you know spotted by an agency when you were 15 years old and now you happen to be playing now you happen to that agent happens to be the one who is managing the captain of the team that's okay but if somebody suddenly at the age of 23 is switching that that switch has to be vetted we are not saying we are going to become restrictive uh, trade and not allow that person that agency to get a new client but that change has to be vetted and there has to be like a reasonable reason for making that switch yeah do you think these uh that kind of a, a new level of reg- regulation can check these conflicts um how successful do you think these suggestions can be in actually in actually stopping these conflicts from happening it's always uh, it's it just serves as a deterrent it just adds an extra step which might deter a player i mean you you can't possibly 
they'll if they want to if they are serious about making the switch they will come up with a reasonable reason to convince you if i mean uh it's it's just it's just a deterrent it's more admin for the player it's an extra step in the way it might say hey no maybe let's not that's all uh, i mean you can't actually stop it you really cannot and uh, and it's just at the end of the day you are relying on the captain who at the end of the day will remain captain only if he keeps winning so that's where you put your trust in yeah so that that's the, that's the one thing that when it comes to uh agents influencing captains at the end of the day captain's the one who's bearing responsibility for the performance of his team or her team exactly and they've got to pick they've got to pick the strongest team in order to give themselves the best chance of doing it so that's that there is a there is a natural check and balance on abuse of uh, of the uh, the player agent relationships already that's one thing where we as journalists and analysts are with no direct stake in the performance of a team get criticized for you know criti- uh, for criticizing a captain's selection that's one thing readers and listeners should know that we never doubt the intentions of the captain we we still believe that the captain is picking an 11 to give himself the best chance to win a match to give yeah. the cricket of that country yeah. the best chance to thrive though in, in though i though there are a lot of press box conversations where where very very cynical and very uh where like journalists between among themselves are aware of these conflicts but necess- aren't necessarily in a position to write about them because then you open yourself up to litigation open yourself up to defamation and and libel if you expose these things but uh in sri lanka we've had we've just gone through a cycle when the team was losing where a lot of these agent relationships sometimes in a very flawed way were were was exposed in uh some gossip websites which had a lot of facts wrong and were taking the point like a little bit too far uh but it is i mean it is of interest i think it is fans when you're watching a game should know what these relationships are because you should always be aware because we as cricket is 100 miles away from getting rid of all the conflicts of interest that it should be getting rid of there are so many when you're watching a match every day there are there's uh, there's an innumerable amount of conflicts of interest happening and as a fan it can i mean it can be it can sort of send you down the road to cynicism and say okay he's only saying this because it's of this uh, extraneous reason uh but fans should be aware of that when they're matching when they're, they're watching a match and hopefully this podcast has sort of done a little bit to make you aware of this world behind <laughs> of the backstage of cricket a little bit so anyway that's that's it from the two of us uh we'll catch you again probably in another couple of weeks uh the stump mike pella or the 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 proper flagship stump mike will be there to uh next week uh so keep an eye out for that Uh, and we'll uh, we'll see you next time